Spring is around the corner and my next guest knows a thing or two about flowering spring bulbs. A career in politics teamed with his Lincolnshire farming business growing a variety of daffodils and tulips. Join me as I chat with the Right Honourable Lord Taylor of Holbeach. Hello, welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meats, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today we are chatting to the Right Honourable Lord Taylor of Holbeach, a Lincolnshire-based farmer and grower who has had a distinguished career in politics which continues today. Then I'll give you some inspiration when it comes to mealtime prep and some recipes to share, meaning you can juggle family life with the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal too. Okay, let's introduce my guest. If you Google Lord Taylor of Holbeach, or John as I know him, you'll find a whole host of detail information on his political career spanning several decades starting in the 1960s to date for the Conservative Party. John was made a life peer in 2006 and was Chief Whip of the House of Lords from 2014 to 2019. I've known John for many years through my work with the Council for Awards at the Royal Agricultural Societies. The organisation is fortunate to have John as a fellow and each year Lord Taylor is our sponsoring peer for an award ceremony in the House. John's feet are firmly rooted in agriculture and I want to explore some more with him. So without further ado, let's bring him on to, into the conversation. Hello, John. How hey. are you? Hello, Millie. Nice to be with you this morning. <laughs> now, you have uh, such an interesting and varied background. Tell me about your um, involvement with the farming industry. Yes, well, it's quite um, complicated in a way. I left school quite early on. I, I did biological and scientific subjects at A&S level, in fact, and left school at 17, having uh, got all the things I needed to go to university. And much to some people's disappointment, I didn't go. I went and joined the family business, which is a rather different sort of business, because although we're farmers, we're principally known to the public as bulb growers. Yes. Because we supply so many bulbs to uh, both to the domestic consumer, but also to the garden centres and parks and gardens of the U- United Kingdom. Mm. So it's quite a quite a, a business, and at the moment, it's really busy out there. Mm. I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, that's it. It's uh. It's a name that I recognise, um, and obviously, then when I got to know you a little bit more, I'm I'm really excited to find out more about the business. But also, at some point, I would like to come over and and have a look around because, see, I am very interested and in, and take part in a lot of gardening at home, and I grow a lot. So I'm I'm fascinated to sort of understand more about the business, really. Yes, well, we we actually have a. A charity bulb sale, which uh, um, you might take note of, although I'm not going to be able to be here yes. <laughs> when it's on. But um, uh, we perhaps can talk about that a bit later. Yes. The family business has been going for uh, over 100 years now. Yeah. And yeah. Um, its origins are quite interesting. Uh, my grandfather 
Otto Augustus Taylor, named after a German uncle he had, mm-hmm. was uh, fighting in the First World War when he was badly gassed. And he'd been working in London in a chemist shop in the city of London. And they told him that it was really very silly of him to try and keep that profession mm-hmm. um, and that he'd be better off seeking fresh air in the country. <laughs> and he applied and got a Crown Colony um, holding uh, here in Holbeach. And as a result of that, uh, Taylor's moved to Holbeach and he started um, growing bulbs because he knew just growing potatoes and wheat on 10 acres of land was not going to be a way of making a living. Mm-hmm. He didn't know growing flowers would be a way of making a living. And so that's when he started bulk growing. Fantastic. And so, as we said, many people have heard of Taylor's bulbs. Um, at what point did the flower bulb business really grow? And what does it look like today? Well, it's um, it's changed even in my lifetime. Mm. Uh, first, uh, people to grow bulbs uh, actually started growing bulbs in the Spalding area. Uh, just before the First World War, mm. they were um, often uh, Dutch Dutchmen who'd come here. Mm. The similarity of the topography of uh, the area around uh, the Lincolnshire Fens and the Siltlands is so similar to Holland that it's mm. South Holland. I live in the district of South Holland, so yes. it's not surprising in a way that it's attracted Dutch people who after all drained so many of the fens they grew bulbs and my uh, grandfather was part of the post-world post-world war one uh, bulb growing development which was extensive a lot of english people realized that this was a, an opportunity for them and they were growing all sorts of bulbs hyacinths, mm. tulips daffodils everything mm. but when the Second World War started, uh, because of the need to grow food, bulb acreages were compulsorily reduced. Mm. Everybody had to grow uh, less bulbs to a quarter of what you'd had before the war. Yes. And um, so um, the surplus bulbs were actually exported to the United States in order to pay for provisions that were coming over the other way right there was a uh, an example of how in wartime everybody had to rally to to achieve all this but it meant after the second world war it was uh, much more difficult uh, because most people were concentrating on building up their stocks mm. and we were very involved with flower production in those days and our principal task was with the nursery we had here, growing flowers in the winter and yeah. flowers in the summertime. Mm-hmm. But the acreages grew. In this area, it became a tourist attraction. Yes. Coach loads of people would come round on the tulip Sundays in um, April and May. Yeah. And um, it was a, a phenomenon. Yeah. People would come in and... Uh, we were selling flowers by the side of the road. I I personally was selling flowers by the side of the road. The main road went past here in those days. It was, it, it's amazing to think that it was a main road, but mm. it was the main road. Mm. And uh, 
we had well we've got photographs of coaches parked in our uh, vestigial uh, farmyard here uh, looking at the uh, bulk fields yeah and yeah. that was you know quite important it still remains a bit of a tourist attraction but not as much as it was no but I mean, to to grow bulbs, obviously, we think of obviously buying your bulbs and, you know, um, you, you buy daffodil bulbs, you buy tulip bulbs. But how do you breed them? Um, are you collecting the seed or, you know, how how does that actually work? Well, in fact, most bulbs are uh, reproduced vegetatively. Right. Um, and so you actually increase uh, your bulbs uh, vegetatively. Mm-hmm. In terms of crossing bulbs, uh, you remove the anthers from one mm. and um, you place the pollen from one on the stigma of another. Mm-hmm. Of, of the, so that uh, you actually do get seed pods containing seeds, but it takes you about 10 years before you've got flowering bulbs from, yeah. a, from a planted seed. Yeah. Uh, it's a difficult and long-term job. And my father did do this mm. uh, through the 50s and 60s. And we did produce a number of very interesting varieties. Mm. It's generally left now to particular specialists, yeah. many of whom are um, almost amateurs. Mm. And mm. it goes on across the world so that there's an American Daffodil Society, there's Daffodil Societies in the uh, in um, Australia and New Zealand, mm. uh, so it's, it, it's a continuous process. Yeah, and yeah. so what? Tell me what what would be your favourite flower? Um, have you got a certain uh, variety that you that you admire? Well, uh, it's very difficult to say. Uh, <laughs> some I like. There's, if you go to a Hortus bulborum in the Netherlands, mm. it's in Lima, north of Alkmaar. Um, if you go there, you'll find a, um, a garden of historic varieties, and many of the varieties in there are not—they're not great shapes nowadays. Mm. They're old, and they were not—they uh, were not as robust as the current varieties. Mm. But it's lovely to see them. Mm. So I've uh, been able to uh, take a variety that we had as a um, as a seedling and uh, present it to the late uh, Queen Elizabeth on her 90th birthday. Oh, wow. And at the time, I was captain of the Gentleman's Arms, and we can talk about the politics. <laughs> yeah. That's why that came in. Yeah. I was captain of the uh, Queen's historic bodyguard, the chaps with the plumed uh, helmets. And, mm. um, and uh, I presented um, a daffodil called Gentleman's Arms. And I'm very proud of that. Because yeah. Bringing my two lives as a politician and as and as a bulb grower together. Yeah. And, uh, we grow a lot of it and it's a, a very successful variety. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So what variety is it called? I'll have to have a look out for it. It's it. called Gentleman at Arms. Gentleman at Arms, right? I remember yeah. that. I'll have to, I'll have to Google okay. that sometime. Excellent. Yeah, it's in. Um, well, you'll find out about the the core, the honourable core of the Gentleman at Arms. But more to the point, you'll find that it is um, a daffodil, and it's in Taylor's bulb catalogue for the um, retail. Excellent. Oh, 
Brilliant. Well, I'm definitely going to get my order in. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. How much time, John, is dedicated or how much of your life have you dedicated to your political career? Because as I mentioned in my intro, it's kind of spanned quite a number of decades. How how did it all start? Well, it's sort of... um... It started, strangely enough, through me realising that I could have and probably should have gone to university. Mm. I, I had a successful life, uh, so by most people's, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> there was, it could have gone wrong, mm. but it didn't for me, so I was very lucky. Mm. And I, um, when I left school, I came to work at home and then I said to my father, I really want to go and work in Holland. And he made arrangements for me to go and work in Holland. And I learned uh, Dutch. I'm the president of the Anglo-Netherlands Society in this country. Mm-hmm. And I'm shortly to go to Amsterdam to speak to a Dutch audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been a, it was a good part of my life. And uh, when I was there, a group of people came over from, including my father, and a couple of influential individuals. As a result, I ended up getting jobs with them mm. because uh, when I decided to go to university, it was and I got got in. But mm. uh, this was about three years after I'd left school. But mm. unfortunately, I never went because I got offered a really interesting job, and I went to work for the National Farmers Union. Ah, and okay. At the time, we were uh, setting up a bulb growing cooperative here so uh, growers could market their bulbs uh, together collectively Mm. we were setting up a a show garden Mm -hmm. to match the Kirkenhof which I'd been round in Holland with the person I was working with as a chairman of the Kirkenhof the great influential people of Bolding were on that little trip with me as well and I think partly because of that I'd and sort of impress them as being a keen young man type of thing and give this bloke a job and actually i i really did enjoy working for the national farmers union mm. i then decided to go back home and i was interrupted yet again by another <laughs> person who'd been in that group and they wanted me to join their new company set up to market uh bulbs to nurseries in the area mm. and i I did that. It was part of the Geest organization, uh, which was very important in Spalding at the time as well. And I did that for three years. And the net effect was that I had the training to get me interested. Mm. And the politics came in, of course, because I was desperate, having been a young farmer, and I still was a young farmer, I joined the Young Conservatives as well. Yeah. I could go out on a Tuesday night for the young conservatives and on a Wednesday night, uh, sorry, on a Thursday night for the young farmers. Mm-hmm. So I got a social life and I had a damn good time. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. But I then ended up back at home doing all that I'd learned uh, for, the, uh, for my uh, family business. And I'm delighted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my politics in the spare time stood for parliament a couple of times stood for European elections when they were first held in 1979 mm-hmm. so I've been quite involved in politics and chaired the Conservative Party conference and 
uh, headed up the voluntary party, was deputy chairman of the part, Conservative Party, in charge of candidates. Yeah. All, all these sort of things. And I was doing this as a voluntary thing. Yeah. But somehow I had a very tolerant life. <laughs> and, and I was able to do this in, in my spare time. Yeah, sure. I had plenty of energy. Yeah. And I could... Well, it made no difference to a hard day's work and then go off to a meeting. Yeah, absolutely. No, fantastic. And today, do you spend much of your time in London or is it sort of split between um, home and, and the house? Well, I actually have have uh, quite uh, firm views, really, about these, these things. Um, some of it happened because I had no choice. I became a minister. And so when you become a, um, I was first of all on the opposition front bench, as soon as I got in the House of Lords, more than mm. on the opposition front bench as um, uh, part of the agricultural team. I was mm. in charge of that eventually. And then I thought when we won the election, I'd become a minister in DEPRA. But mm. that was not to be. I mm. ended up being asked to go to the cabinet office and do a very complicated piece of legislation, which actually earned me Peer of the Year award, mm. which I was lucky to get, but it was yes. a terrific challenge. Yeah. Then I did go to DEFRA, but only for a year, and then I was into the Home Office on mm. the May. Mm. And then I was asked uh, by David Cameron uh, to become the Chief Whip in the House of Lords. Well, these are all terrific jobs. Mm. Uh, a terrific challenge. And I decided that I couldn't combine that and running the business. Mm. And I got a son working here in the business. I have another son who um, works um, for Lloyds of London and, mm. um, and is doing extremely well in that uh, particular profession. But uh, I didn't want to be in Adam's way. And frankly, as long as I had... Uh, my pension, which I've been able to accumulate mm. um, through the business, uh, I didn't need the farm. Mm. And so I handed over my shares in the business mm. uh, to my son, and my brother, who was working with me as well, mm. um, handed his over. And uh, so we live off our pensions, and we have nothing to do with the management business at all. Mm. Mm. So I live here. Yes. I'm on the job, and I go round and I, I know what's going on. Yes. It's not my responsibility. No. I believe earnestly that when people are marketing product, they've got to be contemporary with their market. It's no use an old man. I'm nearly 80. I'll be mm. 80 in a couple of months' time. Mm. Um, if you're that old, you can't expect to understand what young people are wanting mm, mm. and not understand young lives quite as well as you should. But it's better to have people who are living those sort of lives, making the decisions and yes. taking responsibility. Yeah. The, I mean, within agriculture in general, succession planning is so important, yet so many people get it so wrong, don't they? So a lot of people don't even, uh, they don't even do it. No. And I've, I've even, I even know of some professional friends of mine who mm. made no provision for their old age, mm. and their wives have no idea what happens when 
unfortunately they're bereaved and, mm. and I, there's I can't recommend enough mm. pass attorney in place yeah everything properly organized because life is unremitting in its toll on people and eventually if you leave behind the mess you will not be thanked no it's a lot there's a lot of sense and anyway for the health of the health of businesses mm. it's much better that young people have the energy and drive mm. as say to, uh, for the business yeah but i still love the job yeah uh, go to holland um at least once a year yeah and usually twice and i'm very fond of it but i also like my house in france mm. and um I'm off to Venice this weekend mm. as well. Lovely. So I can do that. Yeah. I do spend most of the time when the House is sitting in Parliament. Because yeah. having been Chief Whip and asked people to go and vote for the party, it's very difficult to be skiving off. <laughs> Actually, they do need people there to vote in yeah. support of the government's policy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it does sound like you've got a very good work-life balance, but I'm sure it's burning uh, the midnight oil on occasions and perhaps burning the candle at both ends. But um, you've obviously dedicated a, a lot of your life and you've still got a lot to give, it would it would seem. Well, I enjoy it. I enjoy things, but I am trying to take it a little bit, bit easier because uh, my wife's just uh, going around the garden and I can see from my window here Yes. Uh, she's going around our garden. We've got a lovely garden here. We live in a very nice uh, farmhouse. Which, mm. um, so I was brought up in this uh, farmhouse. Mm -hmm. I live here still. There's not many people can say that. No. Born in Hall Beach. And yep. I hope uh, when the end comes, I'll die in Hall Beach. Yeah. But I don't want to die yet because no, no. <laughs> too many more things to do. Absolutely. Well, you've inspired. I'm. I'm now already thinking in my head. I think with Caras, we ought to organise trip to Holland. Come and see. Go and see the all these gardens and things. It would be wonderful to go and explore. Well, uh, one has to say that um, uh, the Netherlands is a terrific place. Mm. Uh, um, there's a horticultural specialist committee mm. at the moment. Um, one of the I'm on the liaison committee, and one of the committees we chose. And I can't say it was anything to do with me because I opted out of the discussion mm. uh, because I had a vested interest. But they chose horticulture as a topic and they mm. went to uh, the Netherlands because if you want to be successful in horticulture, you've got to know what's going on in mm. the... Mm. Not the only place that's, that's happening. And a lot of uh, produce is grown in Spain, North Africa and, uh, and South America now. Central and South America as well. So um, it comes from all over the place. But it, a lot of the real um, experimental work, which we've lost out on here, mm. I used I was a founder member of the Horticultural Development Board mm. uh, when it was set up uh, because I was quite involved in all those. I don't know how to find the time to <laughs> that sort of thing. But the research institutes in this country have, uh, tended to decline, whereas um, um, the Netherlands, uh, they still have at Wageningen, one of the most uh, um, forward-looking um, outfits. Mm. Uh, not that we are behind, I mean, AHIP is uh, fantastic. We've got a lot of, uh, lot of good 
um, did sort of agriculture, botany, Cambridge. Those sort of things are really great leaders, uh, but they're not part of the state-run educational system that we used to have here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a pity. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I, I want to try and explore that some more. I think I'll try and organise a trip in the future, although I'm probably a glutton for punishment because I've got quite a lot on my plate myself. Yeah, you <laughs> Where you'll end up and you'll end up my pain. Not knowing where you are. Now, let's um, turn, our, turn our attention to cooking. Um, do you get much time to cook or prepare meals? You know, what are your dishes that you enjoy cooking or eating, John? Um, I enjoy my food. Mm. Uh, went out um, uh, two days ago because it was my wife's birthday. In fact, mm. we're going out again uh, tomorrow night because mm. uh, the family are joining us yeah. at my wife's birthday celebration. Yes. Um, but I'm really ace at certain elements of a meal. Mm. I'm uh, quite good at getting the cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, on a cheese board and putting yeah. it on the table. Yeah, it can uh, convey the uh, fruit from the kitchen to the uh, dining table. Yeah, my wife and I tend to have dinner in the evenings. Yes, in a rather more formal setting. Did you say cooking? Cooking and eating, either or, really. Well, I might be all. I might be all either cooking up politics, but I'm not very cooking <laughs> food. I don't think uh, my wife would trust me to boil an egg. <laughs> so I, can, I can put the toast in the toaster, mm. but that's about, that's about all. Yeah. I, food is really, I, I, I love food. Yes. And I, and I uh, try not to eat too much of it. I try mm. to have a proper life um, balance on mm. uh, food and exercise and everything else. There's some good cheeses in Lincolnshire, though, isn't there? There's, well, there you've got are, the, yes. Yeah, there, 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 there are. And you've got Coat, Coats the, Hill, haven't you, and Lincolnshire and the, Poacher. Mm. That's right. And I also have to say I quite like uh, French cheeses and French wine. Yes, yes. France. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, English cheese is inferior. It's different. Yes. Actually, when in France we tend to eat French cheese and when in England we'll eat English cheese. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, on a few previous podcasts, I've interviewed uh, cheese producers and dairy farmers, and uh, we've sort of uh, definitely highlighted some of the regional differences as well in cheese, as well as uh, different countries. And it's, uh, I, th- I think, in England, there's over seven hundred different varieties. It's amazing yes. what we've got. Um, yes. And it's well, it was uh, De Gaulle, wasn't it? So, how could you uh, govern a country that has so many different uh, cheeses? But yes. the same is true of Britain. Strange thing is, both wine and cheese are dependent on skill of the maker. Yes. Uh, and uh, consistency in terms of product. Mm. Um, so that you get a reputation for producing something that's going to taste the same as it did last time and the mm. same time. But they are quite similar and they. The raw product, in one case, is milk, and the other case, it's grape juice. Yeah. Uh, but it's the way they're brought together and handled that makes the difference. 
yeah definitely well um seasonality is such a um an important part of um cheese and wine isn't it and climate change and you know there's yeah. so many different contributing factors and in a previous podcast episode I was talking about the science that goes into it like you say the skill of the cheesemaker or the winemaker for example the the consistency um that if you have it one day and then have it six months later it's got to sort of taste the same um because that's what the consumer expects as well Yes, I'm not a climate change cynic, but I do think we ought to be aware that um, in Roman times, uh, grapes were grown in Lincoln. And, uh -huh. uh, and the, you know, things are, the, the climate has changed. I don't know, it, it is, uh, the moment it's changing, and mm. uh, there are reasons why it might be changing too. Mm. Uh, but we have to acknowledge that some English sparkling wines are tremendous. Yes, yeah. The Champagne region in France is actually quite a cold spot in France. Mm. Um, mm. And the reason why they can produce uh, Champagne there is because of the fact it's uh, cooler. It's east of Paris mm. and it's uh, cooler in the winter months because you're getting a continental climate. Mm. There. Mm. Makes um, quite, a, quite a difference as with the Burgundy wine. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, how can people find out more about you, John? Um, have you got a website? Are you on social media? I ask this question of everybody, but if just if people want to find out more information, um, I mean, I, I mentioned in my um introduction that when you Google your name, there's lots that comes up because you are even on Wikipedia. I found out. Oh well, I didn't know that. <laughs> but, uh, to be honest, I don't know where this stuff comes from. It's like who's who. I mean, who's who? But um, <laughs> it's it's summarises to have your life in a couple of paragraphs is a bit sort of uh, funny because it's not at all about you really. It's just about a uh, geographical map. It's like a map. Almost, yes. Like. Yes. But uh, I don't have a website. I don't. I go on Instagram because uh, Taylor's have got a Instagram page. Yes, and I know uh, got a Facebook um, page. Yes, uh, Bob's dot uh, co uk is the retail website. Mm -hmm. Bob's dot co uk. Yeah, and Bob's dot co uk is the website. Website. Um, Brilliant. Uh, the uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, but Taylor's Bulbs is for uh, people who are a retailers want to buy, and that's Taylor's hyphen bulbs dot com. Yeah. And yep. um, but they're all in effect come through the office. Yeah. And they're all part and parcel. They're part of the diversification is to try and not keep those business separate because they all they feed off each other. Mm. There's obviously a world of difference between looking after uh, somebody wanting to plant a 20, 30 tulips um, as somebody wanting to buy uh, 20 tonnes of daffodils. Yeah, yeah, but, no, absolutely. Slightly, slightly different scale of operation. Yes. You have to be able to do both, and we do do both. Yeah. Um, uh, around 600 varieties of daffodils in yeah. that specialist section. Yeah. Uh, these new varieties are coming along and where we're trying to grow them up to commercial sizes. Mm. Some will never develop into commercial uh, quantity. 
because they're nice, interesting, mm. but they're probably not as good as something which we can be growing at a, a field level on a larger scale. Yeah. So you might get plots two square meters of a variety only. Um, but we have also some varieties where we're planting, you know, a hundred tons of uh, a particular variety of yeah. seed stock, uh, but they are for large, large scale selling. Yeah. Different scale. Well, I'll um, <clears throat> share all of the show notes, all the links in the show notes um, so that people can find out more, all of those links that you just mentioned yeah. um, so that people can find out more. But here are a few ideas for things that you can try at home. Shepherd's pie, a real winter warmer. Who can't beat the comforting feeling of coming into the warm on a cold, crisp day to eat or share a meal such as shepherd's pie? I'll share the recipe in the show notes, but you'll need lamb's mince, potato, cream, cheese, plenty of vegetables, including an onion, tomatoes, carrots, stock and some rosemary. This recipe does take a bit of time to prepare, but you won't be disappointed. And you can even hide a whole host of vegetables within it so the kids won't even notice. In season right now, this podcast is going out in January. So January time, beetroot, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, leeks, parsnip, potatoes. Now, why is seasonality important? Well, in my opinion, and of many of us, it is for a number of reasons, really, to reduce the energy needed to grow and transport the food we eat, uh, to avoid paying a premium um, for food that could be scarcer or has travelled a long way, to support our local economy, but also it tends to be fresher um, and more nutritious because you're getting it from somewhere local and supporting a local business. Now, at this time of year, you might be feeling the pinch, but I always find that food lifts the soul. Making a dish such as cauliflower cheese is my idea of food heaven and combines a vegetable that is in season along with some tasty bechamel cheese sauce and lots and lots more cheese. You can add it to some pasta for mac and cheese or make it as a side dish to accompany a roast dinner. Would that be your idea of food heaven, John? Well, um, should I tell you, by um, a great coincidence, we had shepherd's pie for dinner last night oh there we are <laughs> and, um you're quite right it does take uh, quite a bit of preparation yes uh but uh my wife it was such a coincidence really yeah. but, um it was uh very very pleasant and yes. uh it's quite a useful dish because you can actually eat one bit of it and then come back and have the other bit of it another night yes uh so <laughs> This is, um, you know, we'll no doubt uh, be eating this at the, week, at the weekend as yeah. well. Yes. Uh, because um, going up to London tonight, mm. um, we won't have any dinner at all. It was, but I'll be Anglo Netherlands stuff. Mm. And then I have told you, I'm going to celebrate my wife's uh, birthday at a restaurant tomorrow. Yes. yes. Lovely. Oh, fantastic. Well, I hope you have a wonderful time and I hope hope you have something else on the menu that isn't shepherd's pie. But I'm glad that um, (laughs) it's such a happy coincidence because like you, it is a wonderful dish and something that I will make a big, big 
that of it um and have it on several occasions um so it's very much a good batch cook dish I for sure i agree <laughs> and I, I think tomorrow night we might have some of that sparkling wine don't you? oh uh, yeah i like the sound of that <laughs> Okay, that's all we've got time for today. Don't forget to tune into the next episode of the Countryside Kitchen Meet on the first of each month, and you can subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms. And please do drop me a line. I love to hear from you. I love to find out what you're cooking, what your um, favourite things are to eat. Um, Tell me about small businesses that you found, those little gems, um, because I always like to shine a light on more producers around the country. And don't forget, you can also follow on Instagram and Facebook and the food blog, which is No Fuss Meals for Busy Parents, for some top tips, time-saving hacks and recipe ideas. Thank you so much, John, for joining me. It's been wonderful to hear more about your career history and about the, the Taylor's bulbs, because there's so much that you we, we could just chat all day, couldn't we? Yes, and I'm looking forward to the awards ceremony. Yes. Really. We'll enjoy that too. We will. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye, everybody. Goodbye, everyone.